Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer brings the next talk in the series, Over the Rainbow. Have you ever wondered what heaven, the new Jerusalem, would be like? In today's talk, we find out what heaven is like. Stay with us to the end and find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. about this time of year that we start celebrating our graduates and those who are going to be moving on to college and uh, moving out, hopefully parents, right, on their own and becoming fully self-supported. Now, before we do that, oftentimes during their senior year, sometimes even before that, we start taking our kids who are planning on going to college, we take them on campus tours, don't we? Why do we do that? Because we want them to get a glimpse of the glorious future that lay ahead. And because you don't want them living in your basement until they're 35 playing Call of Duty. So you want them to go off and be someplace meaningful. You want to show them that right now, there's not too much glory living in mom and dad's basement and eating Cheetos. You want to move on. You want to go here. Look at the beauty and glory of this place. And you take them to the college and there's this, you know, they usually have, you know, some attractive young lady and she's smiling, showing you that everybody at the school is just like me. And they'll take you around and they'll show you the stadium. They'll show you your, your rooms where you're going to be living. They'll show you the dining hall and the food. They'll show you the activity courts and the things that you'll be doing. It's going to be so much fun. They're hoping to whet your appetite so that instead of staying home with mom and dad, you're going to want to launch off into what is truly your life and that you're going to love and enjoy what lay ahead. They're trying to open up your eyes and expand your vista so that you will begin today to prepare yourself for that day when you're going to be in college. And I think a lot of times when we preach on heaven, it's similar Right now, we're living in dad's basement. This earth, it's great and all and for what it is, but it's not everything that it's supposed to be. This earth is not our eternal home. It's not where God intended us to be. In fact, God was very careful that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God put an angel with a flaming sword guarding the entrance to the tree of life, lest they take of it and eat and live perpetually separated from God. We're not meant to be separated from God. We're meant to be with him. And so as we teach on heaven, it's like God is sort of saying, get out of the basement, put down the Cheetos, you know, walk away from all these things that you think are so fun. And let me just open up and take you on a campus tour. Let me just give you a brief glimpse of the hope and the glory and the beauty that lay ahead. And don't satisfy yourself with just these these temporary empty things that I've given you here. So turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 to 22 are the clearest pictures that we have of what heaven is going to be like. This is the final message in the series Over the Rainbow, where we look beyond this this sepia-toned life. Remember where Dorothy and Toto were in Kansas, where there's just trouble and everything breaks down and things are miserable. And then there's this this beautiful, full-color, technicolor world out there that lay ahead with magic and beauty and glory. So we're going to look today at the eternal destination for those who are righteous in Christ, those who have been made righteous in Christ. So in heaven, we're going to answer three questions today. Who's in it? What's it like? And what are we going to do in heaven? So Revelation 21, verse 1, this is going to be something like one of these 
Israel, Holy Land tours, you could spend 40 years of your life and never get everything out of it, but you're just gonna hop off the bus, cheese, take a picture in front of you know, the, the empty tomb or whatever, and you're gonna hop on the bus and you're gonna rush off to the next place. We don't have time to explore all the depths of heaven, but we're gonna give you a taste. We're gonna give you a campus tour. So who's in heaven? A, we're gonna see that God is in heaven, obviously, Revelation chapter 21, in verses one to two. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, he says, and it was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now let's pause for a second. We've talked about two different kinds of heaven here. I don't know if that slipped your notice or not. When the Bible uses the term heaven, heaven just means a realm. It's a, it's a place beyond earth. It is what is beyond us. And when the Bible uses the term heaven, sometimes it talks about the first heaven. That is the, what the Bible also calls the firmament. It's our atmosphere surrounding the earth, okay? It's the sky. The second heaven is Star Trek, okay? It's space, the final frontier. It's everything, the infinitude of space beyond our brief little atmosphere. The third heaven is beyond the infinity of space. It's where God lives. So that's the third heaven. So there's not three eternal dwelling places of believers like some cults would have you believe. But the Bible does describe these three different realms. And a couple of these realms are going to completely disappear, aren't they? We're going to notice. It says in 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens will pass away with a roar. Is that where God lives? No, where God lives is perfect and it's eternal. So what heavens are we talking about? We're talking about first and second heavens. The heavens will pass away with a roar. He says with a roar because it's gonna be loud. Is it loud when you split one atom? What happens if you split all the atoms in the universe at the same time? That's pretty loud. So the heavens, he says, will pass away with a roar. He says, and the heavenly bodies, that's the planets and the stars and such, they will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed. This surprises some believers when I, when I tell them, you know, this earth is not eternal. God will wipe away everything here. The, the wing of the library dedicated after your great grandpa who built it with his own two hands, right? That's gonna disappear one day. This church is gonna disappear one day. Our bodies will disappear one day, thank God. Uh, these, this, this is all temporary stuff. This is an illusion. It's a shadow of things to come. It's not our eternal home. And God reminds us, don't put too much confidence here on earth. Don't put all of your efforts and energies and money into temporary legacies that will burn up and dissolve and disappear. This is all temporary. And then he sees the new, the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, he says it's coming out of heaven from God. It's not just coming out of space, it's coming from God, from the third heaven. So Jesus went away to prepare a place for us and we have this beautiful new Jerusalem and it's obviously in heaven with God and at some point in time, Revelation reminds us, it's going to descend down upon the new earth. Now, so just to be technical here, we may use the term heaven today because that's how we describe it. Go to heaven, hell. You wanna go to the good place or the bad place? But technically speaking, do believers live in heaven for all eternity? where God lives. No, we don't. Where do we live? We live in the new Jerusalem, which has come out of heaven from God, and we live upon the new earth. And many of the descriptions that we often use to describe what we just call heaven are actually descriptions of the new Jerusalem, as you're going to see. The pearly gates, the streets of gold, all that. These are describing the new Jerusalem, okay? So having said that, let's go ahead and move on. He says, 
We're going to see here too, not only is God in heaven very clearly, I'm just going to use the term heaven so we all, we're, we're speaking the same language. We're going to see B, that people are in heaven, well, at least some people. Verse three says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So obviously there's people there. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see what God is really promoting as the beauty and glory of heaven? What makes heaven so great? Is it that you're gonna see your loved ones again? Is it gonna be that you can eat and eat and never get fat? Is that what we're looking forward to in heaven? What is the glory and the beauty of heaven? It's that God and man will dwell together. He says the dwelling place of God is with man. Now this word dwelling place is the word tabernacle. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what that term is. Israel, they're wandering from Egypt, this land of lawlessness, of, of multiple gods, to follow their one God throughout the desert. And they, God gives them specific orders and how to create the Ark of the Covenant, this presence of God upon which is the mercy seat, and the blood is sprinkled, and atonement is pictured in Christ. And then you place that Ark of the Covenant within the tabernacle, this big old tent of meeting that would be collapsed and set back up as they would travel around the, the wilderness. And if you read through the Bible, you'll notice that the tabernacle was always to be central. You had the tabernacle in the middle and you had all these different 12 tribes on any given side of the tabernacle because God was always intended to be central with man. Man and God were always meant to be together. We were never meant to be apart. You realize that, right? In the, in the Garden of Eden, it was a place where God and man could fellowship. In the tabernacle, it, was, it had that central place in their hearts and lives. It's, they, they pitched their tents around it. In the Jerusalem, when they built the temple, uh, an, again, another place where we see the presence of God pictured. It's in the central part of the city and everything surrounds it. Man's life is meant to be centered upon God. Whenever we center our life upon anything other than God, that's when weird things happen. That's when we get mental uh, instability. We have all kinds of mental, uh, this lack of mental health. Mental health comes from God. And when our lives are centered perfectly on God and our hearts are focused on God and we desire God, that's when we're mentally healthy. When we try to center our lives on money or things or an activity or just some other human, it doesn't work. They're not great enough. We're to be centered on God. And so let me make this clear. When we go to heaven, we talk about, God talks about the dwelling place of God. By the way, it's no longer uh, over man, which is the way the tabernacle in the Old Testament was described. It's now described as being with man. Man was meant to be with God. And that is the greatest glory of heaven. The greatness of heaven, the thing that we look forward to, it's not simply reunited with our family. It's not the, all these other beauties and glory. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the fact that we aren't going to die. The beauty and the glory that believers look forward to in heaven is that I'll finally be with God and that's what I've wanted all my life. If we want anything other than the presence of God in heaven, friends, we're longing for the wrong things. We're, it's, it's the, if, if, going to heaven where it's just this beautiful place where we never die, but I don't care if God is there, friends. That's, that's the desire of the prodigal son. I want my father's blessing. I want the streets of gold. I want to live forever. I want all these wonderful things, but I really don't much care to be with the father. Isn't that the prodigal's prayer? Father, give me your inheritance. I don't really care about you. I just want what you have to offer and provide me. And I'm gonna go over here and I'm just gonna live however I want, apart from you. I don't really want you. I just want what you can give me. 
I think sometimes there's believers or people who think that they're believers who come to church who simply prayed the prayer of a prodigal. God, save me from hell. Give me something good. Take me to heaven. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna enjoy the glories of heaven. Whether or not God is there isn't really a thought in our mind. Whether or not I've repented of my sins is not really a thought in my mind. I just want something good from God. That God is there at all really doesn't matter to me. Friends, if that is your heart's desire this morning, that you just want the, what, the blessings of heaven but you don't really care that you're going to be with God, check your heart to see whether or not you're truly converted. Because how does a converted heart feel about God? Heaven is all I want. If God is there, God is the only thing that I care about in heaven. Listen to the psalmist. In Psalm 75, 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? When I go to heaven, the only thing I'm looking forward to is the fact that God is going to be there. And I've been separated from him my entire life, and I hate it. So much so that Jesus says when the bridegroom is gone, his children will fast. I so long to be in the presence of God that I will push away from the dinner table because I'm in just such great mourning that I'm separated from the God that I love. And so the psalmist says, who and I have I in heaven but you? Nothing matters as long as you're there, God. And, and furthermore, when that's your attitude, he says, and on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. Can you pray that? That the greatest ambition of your heart and life is your desire for God. That's the heartbeat of a true believer. That all I want out of life, all I want out of eternal life is God. Astonishingly, Jesus actually wants to be with us too. I don't know about you, but my heart can't get over that. Why would God want me? That was the greatest struggle in my salvation. Why would God want me? Why would he save me? And yet in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 24, we see that's exactly what he prays for. He says, Father, I desire that they also, okay, he's praying for those who will believe in him through their word, that's us. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Does it, does it warm your heart to know that the God who knows you best, who created the universe, he wants you with him? That desire of that nearness and that presence, it shows acceptance. Does the world accept you? Who cares? Of course the world's not gonna accept you. Jesus says a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Don't care whether or not the world doesn't like you. Don't care whether or not your Facebook page blows up with people who are negative about your Jesus. Don't care whether or not you go to work and people don't necessarily wanna be your best friend because you're that weird Christian who always puts Jesus first. Because in the grand scheme of things, what does it matter as long as God accepts us? And God wants us to be in his presence. That's what heaven is, friends. It's, a, it's, that, it's the God fulfilling the greatest desire of the, in the heart of a believer. God, you're finally gonna put me back together with you. It's what I've wanted all my life. Now, I'd be ignoring scripture if I didn't also include what's also here in Revelation 21.8. It's also a list of who won't be in heaven. Okay, he says, but as for the cowardly, those who are ashamed of Christ, don't wanna be associated with him. The faithless, they won't trust God. The detestable, this describes a criminal. As for murderers, by the way, God includes hate. And the sexually immoral, what's sexually immoral? It's any time we engage in physical intimacy outside of God's very narrow parameters. You're married to one person and it's the other gender. And only within that context, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. You're living together before marriage, that's sexual immorality. If you're, you're, you're laying with someone who's married, that's sexual immorality. If you're with somebody who's the same gender, that's immorality. 
All of this is types of immorality when we do it outside of God's plan. So he includes that. He says sorcerers. We have any sorcerers here today? Didn't see any as you came in. Sorcerers are those who would commune and try to get to the other side by using drugs. Idolaters, those who love something more than God. He says, oh, here's a scary one, and all liars. How many of you guys have told a lie before? Oh, there's a lot of you liars out here. You all told lies. We've done lies. What does God say? All of these people that we just described, he says their portion, here's what they have earned for their life. Their portion is the lake of fire that burns in fire and sulfur. It's the second death. Wait a minute. Does that mean if I've ever done one of those things, I'm going to hell? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Has Jesus forgiven you your sins? Remember, Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, he say, he looked at this list of sins, and he says, of such were some of you. So we've done these things. In fact, some of us, even as believers, have done some of these things. Well, then how do I know if I'm a believer, a true believer or not? Okay? When, I'd say when you sin, what's your heart attitude? Has God converted your heart so that you no longer like sin, you don't enjoy sin, you don't defend sin, you aren't flippant about it? Eh, God will forgive me. He has to forgive me. I'm one of his kids. Uh, if, that's your, if you have kind of a cavalier spirit about sin and God, can I tell you, you probably don't know him. When a true believer sins, friends, our heart is broken over it. I don't want to be in this sin. Ah, oh, why did I go back to that? That's how I used to live. That's what I was. It's not who I am. And like Paul in Romans chapter 7, we start saying things like, I do not understand my own actions what he said in Romans 7 15 he says that for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate so as a new believer at the very least the first thing God converts is your attitude towards sin I no longer enjoy it the way I did I don't want to be a part of it I don't try to find ways to sneak it into my life I try to find ways to push it out and when I do fall into sin because believers still sin I hate it and I'm In my heart's prayers, like Paul in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, we feel wretched. And then he he begs, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul longs to be away from this body that constantly pulls him away from God. And he longs to be delivered from that so he can go live with God, which is where he wants to be. That's how you know that when you have that inner struggle of the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, that's one of the first signs that you're a true believer is that fight and that war and you hate sin because God hates sin. Well, there's been some questions. Uh, People are gonna be in heaven. Well, who? Is my family gonna be there? Maybe. Maybe not. If they're not true believers, friends, we can't give you that assurance. Not everybody who dies rests in peace. There are people who do go to the lake of fire. The Bible says that's their portion. The people who lived for these kinds of sins. Is my baby gonna be in heaven with me? Watch last week's sermon. <laughs> I believe Jesus was saying, to such belong the kingdom of God. Is my pet going to be there? Friends, you wouldn't believe how many times as a pastor over 26 years of ministry that I've been asked if, if my pet is gonna be in heaven with me. Like, like somehow God, I'm gonna arrive in my mansion, maybe in my little gerbil, you know, Billy the gerbil or whatever, you know, he's in heaven with me with, that, with the glorious golden hamster cage. You know, is my pet, you know, my little Yorkie, you know, Schnookums, is, is, is Schnookums gonna be in heaven with me someday? I get that call uh, more often than you'd think. Here's one thing I could tell you. Uh, I believe there will be animals because there will be a new earth, not just a new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem rests on the new earth. There are animals here on earth. There were animals that predated the fall of man. There are animals in the millennial kingdom. I believe there will be animals, yes. 
Will my pet be there? The Bible doesn't say specifically. But I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna tell you two things. One, whatever God has in heaven, it will fully satisfy your heart. Why? Because God is all it takes to be satisfied in heaven. If who have I in heaven but you? So whatever God does or does not have in heaven, friends, you won't care. You will be fully satisfied with the presence of God because that's all a believer needs to be fully satisfied. The second thing is, if you, the greatest longing of your heart is to be reunited with Schnookums, the, the Yorkie, we're longing for the wrong things. The believer in his heart is to be longing to be in the presence of God, not simply be reunited with a pet, the, the prayer of a prodigal, just give me your blessing, God, but I don't really want to be with you. We don't want to be that. Number two, what is heaven like? We're going to look at verses 10 to 11. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. What God is describing is like nothing we've ever heard of, nothing we've ever seen, and these, these stones and things that make up its foundation and its walls, and they're, they're beautiful, and they're glistening with the very light of God. It's gorgeous. And so he's showing us this new Jerusalem descending out of heaven onto the new earth. Well, what else does it tell us about that? Look in verse 12. It had a great high wall. And you're going to see the number 12 a lot here. 12 is the number of administration in the Bible. It tends to describe the completeness, the fullness of something. So you're going to see 12 a lot. You're going to see 12 gates, and there's 12 angels, and the gate names of the 12 tribes, and there's 12 foundations with the names of uh, 12 names of the 12 apostles. And then it says, and then the city itself is 12,000 stadia. It says its length and width and height are equal. It's, and he measured the wall 144 cubits, which is 12 by 12. So there's a lot of 12s here. It's a completeness. The heaven will be complete and full. I want you to see here from this description, first of all, that we see that Jew and Gentile, they live together as one people of God, and yet God doesn't confuse them. Sometimes man does. We can sort of confuse and believe that the church replaced Israel which was a really popular theology that arose during a time when Israel wasn't a nation and nobody saw it becoming a nation ever again. And so we just, church replaces Israel. The church does not replace Israel. Israel and the church are unique and distinct and even the tribulation itself is, an, is a Jewish prophecy from Daniel 9 called the 70 weeks of Daniel. That's how we know it's seven year period. It's described in the Old Testament as the time of Jacob's sorrow. So God doesn't confuse the nation of Israel and the church, and yet there's a single people of God. We have the same dwelling place, but we see the names of the apostles and the tribes. So we're one people of God, but God doesn't confuse them. He does, they're distinct. We see here, there's a wall around the city. And how big is this wall? It's 144 cubits. I don't know. You ever measured something by a cubit before? Uh, a cubit is this, okay? It's your elbow to the tip of your finger. And I imagine, depending on who you are, cubits varied a little bit. You always wanted a big guy to build your house. <laughs> Measured by cubits. 144 cubits is roughly, um, it's roughly 200, I believe, and 16 feet. Now, that's pretty big. By comparison, the Delta Hotel here in Ashland one of the larger buildings in here, around here, is 120 feet. This is nearly two Delta hotels stacked on top of each other, and that's just the wall. That's just the wall that surrounds us. This is an enormous structure, and it's translucent. It's beautiful. These, this jasper, you can see the light through it, and this, this is a unique wall. It's not like any other kind of wall you've ever seen. Because partly because this wall is purely ceremonial. Are there really truly threats 
I mean, are we going to be in heaven and one day it's like the Lord of the Rings and the orcs come in and start attacking heaven and close the gates? Is that what's going to happen? No. It's, it's not going to be like that. The wall is significant of the fact that only the people who God desires to be there are going to be there. Only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, only those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb will be there. And there's 12 gates in this city, but the Bible is very clear. It mentions that these gates are never closed. People can come and go from the city to the New Jerusalem as they please, but there's going to be no night there, and these gates will never be closed. There's no, we're free from any outward dangers. Uh, as we look at the city itself, how big is it? It's 12,000 stadia. Does that clarify it for everybody? Okay, 12,000 stadia. There's some differentiation between theologians as to exactly how big that is. Most have rounded that to be about 1,500 miles long. That's really big. 1,500 miles, how big is that? If you had a picture of the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, it'd be here to Utah. I think I got a picture for you here. There's how big the New Jerusalem is. That's just the capital city. I just want you to look at that. That's how big the New Jerusalem is, and it's just the capital city. But even more impressive to me than just the dimensions of this capital city is how big it goes into space. It's not only 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide, it says it's 1,500 miles high. What does that look like? I got another picture for you. Have a look at this. I mean, this is crazy. Can you imagine astronauts in space? Beep, beep, Houston. What is that? You know, it's just this enormous structure. Let me put this into perspective. The tallest mountain on Earth is what? Everest, okay? And Everest is only like, oh, what is it? It's like five and a half miles high, give or take. That's Everest, five and a half miles. You go on to go beyond that. Let's look at the, cru the highest cruising altitude of passenger jets. It's roughly eight miles into the air. Eight. Okay, let's go a little bit beyond that. You start going 100 miles from the Earth's surface, you start encountering the first satellites that are orbiting the Earth in space. 100 miles. How far does this city go? 15 times <laughs> where the lowest hanging satellites are orbiting the Earth. 15 times that. Can you, does this not impress you? This is an enormous, huge, it's like a little planet, and that's just the capital city. If this city is any indication, the new Earth is going to be a planet the size of which we have never even seen or heard of. Its atmosphere is so great that it will be beyond the capital city itself, which is 1,500 miles into the air. And if this is just the size of the capital city, imagine the immenseness of the new Earth. The Bible doesn't tell us how big it is. I bet it's gonna be stunning. Well, let's jump down to verse 22. He says, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He's gonna be the light of the world. He says, by its light, the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And so all of our needs, everything that we need in heaven and eternity, even the light that we have to see, it's all provided by God. Everything we need is found in God. That's still true for us today. Why is there no temple? 
Well, there's no need for sacrifice anymore. Remember, Jesus died once, the just for the unjust, that we might be brought to God. There's no need for another sacrifice. Do we need anybody teaching us about God in eternity? Are we gonna have to go to church for all eternity? Can I tell you this? You little kids are probably excited about this. There's no church in eternity, okay? Don't get too excited. You still need a preacher now. But our 1 Corinthians 13 says this. He says, for we know in part right now. In other words, our knowledge of God is limited. We know in part and we prophesy in part. When the Bible speaks of prophecy, it's not just simply telling the future. To prophesy means to proclaim divine counsels. It means to take a message that God has given and to proclaim it to man. Most often when the prophets prophesied, it wasn't about, hey, here's some exciting tidbit about your future. Usually it's, hey, 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 you're living in sin. (laughs) Get out of that sin. And here's the future I'm gonna tell you. God's gonna burn your city down if you don't repent. That's what prophecy is. It's a proclamation of the word of God. It's a warning to man. Get your life right with God. And so whenever we preach the word of God, this is prophecy. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we know in part and we prophesy in part. Even the preaching that I give you, it's limited. He says, but when the perfect comes, I believe that's what we're describing here today in heaven. It's the eternal state when everything has been made perfect. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The partial being what? Knowledge and prophecy, the the knowledge of God, the proclamation of God. Why don't we need it anymore? Right now I know in part, but then in the eternal state, I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Won't need preachers then because you'll have God right there. You'll have the knowledge, all the knowledge that you'll need of God right then. Now some of you guys are thinking, I get to heaven, it's gonna be great and all, but... uh, Is there any chance it could ever become like this earth here? Because I just know one of my kids is gonna climb the wrong tree and he's gonna eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and heaven will be Detroit, okay? There's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be gangs and there's gonna be fighting. Is that gonna happen? Is that possible? No, it's not possible. You're not going to, nobody here is gonna accidentally eat of the wrong tree and send us back into the dark ages spiritually. We are sealed, okay? The Bible tells us in uh, verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone that does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So no, there's not gonna be a time where we'll ever return to sin. We are sealed unto eternity in the likeness of God. Well, number three, we're gonna look at what do we do? What's heaven gonna be like? I don't know, maybe I was a weird kid. I'd watch all these cartoons about heaven and things, and I'd see them, they're sitting on clouds, and there's really nothing to look at. I mean, they're just perched on the cloud, they're just kind of talking, hey, nice harp you got there. (laughs) What do you do in heaven? I'd see heaven, and as a kid, for whatever reason, it was very significant for me to think, I wonder if when I go to heaven, God will let me bring a magazine. You know, just something to read, because everybody looks really bored in heaven. I just, I'm not looking forward to that. Will we be bored in heaven? No, but I will share with you a few things that there will be in heaven. Uh, A, there will be life, in life like we've never experienced it before. Life, imagine what God intended for us in Eden, but even greater. Life like we experience it now, but without the ravages and the effects of sin. Life like we experience now, but without being separated from our God. Friends, you like it here on earth? Imagine if God made it perfect. There will be life. And it's described by this river that's flowing out of heaven. Revelation 22 and verse one, he says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal and flowing from the throne of God. 
and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And so right through the middle of the new Jerusalem, the capital city of this new earth, there's this river that's flowing through and it's full of life. It's described as a river of life. A river is something where, it's not a lake where it just sits there. You can empty its contents. A river is just constantly moving and flowing. Where does this life end? It doesn't. It's like this river of life and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming and it comes from an eternal source from the throne of God. So there's not gonna be a time when this eternal life just ends and go, well, heaven was nice. It's gonna continue on for eternity. By the way, this river of life is not the same one mentioned in Ezekiel 47 from the millennial sanctuary. It's not the same one from Zechariah 14 that describes a river of life flowing out of Jerusalem. This is a different, remember those are on the old earth and that's all passed away. This is a very special and unique river of life in the new Jerusalem that will be there forever. And so that, is our eternity, it's, it's just a, it's a constant experience of life. And I don't mean like, oh, we went to Gatlinburg last week and we got a cabin, we sat in a, in a hot tub with my mate and an ice cold you know, root beer and we're going, wow, this is life. That's not life. In fact, our greatest memories on earth are gonna feel like death compared to the life that awaits us in eternity. B, you're gonna like this one, there will be food. You're like, you Baptists are thinking, I'm getting hungry, brother. Uh, why don't you go ahead and parse some Greek verbs on that one? Let's just figure out what that means. Let's, let's, let's plumb the depths of that one right there. Revelation 21, verse one and two says, on either side of the river, there will be the tree of life. And it says there will be 12 kinds of fruit yielding a fruit, its fruit each month. That There's gonna be some kind of seasonal fruit that's always there. Uh, beyond this, Jesus said in Mark 14, 25, assuredly I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day. What day is that? I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So the Bible speaks of eating and drinking in the kingdom of God and in eternity. What, what, why would we, here's a question. Why would we need to eat and drink if we can't die? All right, let's go on to the next point. So, now, do we ever just eat and drink things because it tastes good, because we just enjoy the beauty and the bounty of God? Of course we do. You can confess it here, we've all done it. You sit down to watch TV, you know, you get some ice cream out. None of you went to uh, Kroger's and looking down the ice cream section. Which one, I wonder which one of these here in the ice cream section of Kroger's is actually the healthiest one because I really wish to derive a lot of nutrition from Rocky Road. Anybody? No, you're like, I want that ice cream simply to enjoy the bounty of what God has given me. So I'm gonna bring some moose tracks home, not because I think it's full of vitamins, iron, and protein. I'm bringing moose tracks home because I just enjoy it. Do you know there will be just the consumption of food in eternity because you like it? It glorifies God when you just enjoy that. And so there's gonna be food there. See, there's gonna be worship. Verse three says, no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God of, of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Who's his servants? Hopefully that's you and me. It describes the people who right now serve God. You're not just here to serve your own life. You don't just come to church to get, rid of, to get out of hell. You come to church to be a part of God's eternal work. It's what a member does. We, we do things and we serve actively because we wanna be a part of God's eternal plan. His servants will worship him. Worship is central to the heart of every believer. It's something that glorifies God, but friends, it satisfies the, the soul in the heart of every believer. It feels right and it feels good when we offer up to God that which he deserves. 
We want people to know about how great he is. We want to, sometimes the Bible will say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. What does it mean? When we magnify something, you see something little that you don't appreciate, but then you throw a magnifying glass above it, what happens? Ooh, look at that, you know, and, and we see how amazing this little thing is that we didn't know. And sometimes God can seem a distant figure to people. And so we magnify the Lord. We talk about his greatness. We talk about his works and we want people to be impressed with what they see. You know, at the, uh, the first house that I grew up as a kid, there was this big, long barn, and it was full of all these old cars. And as a little kid, it was a, it was a great place to play. And uh, there were all these old cars out there, some of which belonged to my dad and some didn't, but whatnot. And so we'd go out there, and, and we'd see just these dusty old cars that, frankly, as a child, I saw no appreciation of. I mean, they're all dusty and dirty. They're full of pigeon poop all over these cars. Uh, some of them, they're missing the interior. But then I would walk through that same barn with my dad, and he'd say, oh, I'm like, what is he getting excited about here? There's nothing but dirty old cars. And he'd be like, oh, look at this over here. This is a 36 Ford pickup. I'm thinking, this truck has no interior and the back end is completely gone. What do you see? But then he'd keep walking over and the man is salivating. Oh, over here, there's a 57 Chevy. Oh, I've always wanted to, and he'd describe what he wanted to do with it. And oh, here's a 55 Ford Fairlane hard top convertible, like the Beatles used to drive, you know? And he's like, he's, he's just talking about the glories of these beat up old cars that as a kid, I'm like, eh. But you know, as I listened to him and he talked about what these cars could do, and he talks about their value and how beautiful they are, and how cars back then had so much class and character, unlike all the aerodynamic cars that look the same today, that was my dad. What was he doing? He was magnifying these cars. He wanted me to take a closer look, see the value in it. Right now, you don't see the value, but it's there. Listen to me. That's what worship is. The world doesn't understand the value of God. They see it as, as, as a dusty old pigeon poop covered car. They don't understand why you guys get so excited about Jesus. And so we worship and we talk about the greatness of God in his, in his works so that they will appreciate what we appreciate. And we do that through our words. We do that through our singing. We do that through our giving. You know, we talk about things being worth it. You know, that's why you give money to all those little puppy rescue videos that you watch. Oh, we got to save this little puppy. You know, because you think it's worth it. We call about, when we, we talk about when spending money, it's worth it. When we spend money on God, we're proclaiming to God, you're worth it. You're worth something to me. And so the way that we sing, the way that we speak, even the way that we give, it communicates what God is worth to you. And so there will be worship in all of eternity. Uh, we're gonna see uh, in uh, number, letter D here that there will be purpose. There's gonna be purposeful work in heaven. All the kids are like, oh, I work. I was told, always taught that heaven was a place of rest. And that's what I always thought as a kid. You work hard on earth, but you get to heaven and you kick back and you have pina coladas, you know, for all eternity. And you just sit there and I don't know what you do, but you do nothing. Do you really think heaven and eternity is just going to be glorifying that which is sluggish here on earth? Just this laziness that that's, that's what we look forward to is being able to live fleshly and carnally for all eternity? No, we're gonna, we're gonna have work and meaningful purpose in eternity. Now, it'll still be restful, but there will be meaningful work. Well, how do we know? Well, first of all, uh, just remember this. By the way, work predates the fall. Genesis 2.15, God says, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It's only children that think that the best thing that can happen to me in life is that I do nothing. Adults find enjoyment in productivity. It's why, you can, it's why your kid plays video games, but you go out and garden. 
It's why your kid will sit there and binge, you know, series on the TV, but you want to, you know, make something in the kitchen or dad goes out in the garage, he wants to build uh, a shelf or something. You want to be productive. We find joy in our productivity and our purpose. But in Revelation 21, verse 5, it intimates that there is work. It says there will be no need of the lamp or the sun. God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's reigning. There's governance. We're overseeing things that are, that are happening. Well, I'm still not convinced that means work. Well, Revelation 22, 3 says that his servants, that's you and I, his servants shall serve him. So there's things that we are doing for God. I believe in eternity, friends, we're going to have creativity, we're going to have art, we're going to have industry, we're going to have, uh, there's going to be activity, there's going to be purposeful and meaningful work. Why? Because God is always working. You remember the words of Jesus, right? Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is always at his work to this very day. And then what else did Jesus say? I too am working. See, God doesn't see work as a curse. God sees work as a blessing, as a benefit that I can exert myself and be part of something productive and useful and fruitful. That's what mature adults want out of life. They want to be fruitful. And so there will be meaningful work in eternity. Now, granted, it won't be without by the sweat of the brow. That, the, the fall wasn't that there won't be, that you'll have to work for once. The fall was now when you work, you're going to you're gonna find it difficult. You're gonna sweat, there's gonna be thorns. When you have babies, it's gonna hurt. But God always intended us to be productive. Why? Because God is productive. And so there will be some kind of productive service that we do in eternity. Don't let that bother you. I think, when I think of this, sometimes I think of, uh, you ever see the movie Elf around Christmas time? And you know, Santa comes in, and he's like, all right. We got done with Christmas, and all the elves are cheering. Ah, Christmas is done. And then he says, now it's time to get ready for next year. And they cheer. Ah, let's start, and they go back at it again. And they love their work. Why? Because the elves never get tired. I mean, they make like 1,500 Etch-a-Sketches in an hour. You know, and they love it. And so I think in all of eternity, when we have limitless energy and limitless cognitive abilities, we're going to love the work. We're, gonna, we're certainly going to love our boss. We're going to love the work that God has for us. And so there will be soul-satisfying productivity. Friends, are you ready to go there yet? I pray that you are. I hope you're not still a Kenny Chesney Christian, right? You, want, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go now. If that describes your heart, where you're kind of like, oh, there's so much more on earth that I want to see and experience and do. Friends, can I just tell you, you're just confused. You don't yet understand the beauty and glory of who God is and what eternity holds for us. There is nothing here on earth that can hold a candle to anything in heaven. Kind of like my daughter Mackenzie. She knew this was coming. Every once in a while, I'll pull this sermon out, or this illustration out, but it's the most descriptive way I can describe. When we lived in Orlando, and I'm closing with this, don't worry. Yeah, I know you want to get to lunch. When we lived in Orlando, we were there about 11 years. I did my seminary there, my first couple ministries there. But because we lived there, there were people in our church who worked at Disney. And what does that mean? They can get you in for free. By the way, I don't still have those contacts, so don't ask me if I can get you into Disney. I can't. But when we did, there was one particular birthday. I don't remember which it was. It was like her fifth birthday or something. We were going to take her to the Magic Kingdom. And not only that, she was going to go to Cinderella Castle and have lunch. 
And so we, we did what we all loving parents do. And we take her to some Disney store ahead of time. She gets like, you think like this little purple, purple you know, like princess cap or something with ears and a little veil. And she's this cute little mini, you know, walking around. And, and we take her and we, I pay $25 for parking. You know, and then you get in line for the monorail and you're waiting, you're waiting, waiting. And you finally get on and the monorail for all, you know, purposes, it's not bad. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's, it's at least cold, which in Florida is impressive. And so you get in this cool monorail and you finally sit down and you enjoy the view. And as the monorail's taken off, you have this lovely announcer in the back and he's telling you what you see. You know, these beautiful vistas of just, everything's perfectly manicured and green. And in the distance, you can see the Magic Kingdom. Maybe you see a little bit of the castle or magic or the Space Mountain, but it's not there yet. And so you're still just looking around and you're seeing these brand new hotels and you're getting excited. There's something really cool in store for us here. And so as we ride this monorail, eventually the announcer stops, the monorail stops, the doors open up and everybody gets out because that's what you do, except for Mackenzie. That little girl, she's, she's hanging on there. We're like, Mackenzie, let's go. She's like, no. A kid wants to stay on the monorail. So Mackenzie, come on. So we go in to get her and she's clinging to the guardrail, the little rail there inside the monorail. She's like, I don't wanna go. And in talking to her, come to find out, she thought we were taking her away from the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> she thought that the monorail was the Magic Kingdom. She thought that's what we brought her and paid $25 to park. She thought that's what we came to do, was to hang out on the monorail. And so she found all of her fulfillment and joy in a train ride. She had no idea what lay ahead though. She was ignorant, she was confused. She didn't know about the Magic Kingdom. She didn't know about Mickey over there and she didn't know about the castle and the shows. She didn't know about Space Mountain and Splash Mountain and whatever kind of mountains they have there now. She didn't know about all the glory that lay ahead. She certainly didn't know that she had an appointment with a princess to eat lunch in her castle. And so she was longing to stay on the monorail because she's confused. Friends, I think sometimes believers today are confused and they wanna stay here on earth and they're loath to go to be with God in heaven because they see the earth, this monorail, as the final destination. And we try so hard to make our monorail seat and find good seatmates and to, we build up our little earthly kingdoms here and we try to get comfortable here. So much so that we no longer look for where we're headed, the magic kingdom, if you will, where we're headed to our eternal home. And I think sometimes God wants us to teach on heaven to remind us, as good as you may enjoy the ride right now, this is the monorail. This body of yours is not meant to last forever. It's meant to transport you somewhere. And in the meantime, we're to get ourselves ready for that day. I pray that you are ready. If you are not ready for that day, friends, would you come forward this morning and receive Jesus Christ? He wants to show you how, not just that you can go to a place where you can eat and never get fat, okay? He wants to show you a place where God is. He wants to show you how you can be reunited with the one who created you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning as we study heaven. As you become our tour guide on the beauty and the glories of heaven, what limited ways that you can ex expose us to it even still, Father, our minds are blown away. We cannot conceive of the glory that lay ahead. Lord, it's my heart in prayer today that if there's anybody who does not have assurance that that is their eternal home, if we have people here who have just prayed the prayer of the prodigal, people who want a blessing, who just didn't want to go to hell and they chanted a mantra, hoping to go there someday, God, I pray that they will not be surprised to find out that they're not. God, I pray that 
they would understand that the real glory, the real jewel, the real gem, the real pearl of great price is Jesus himself. It's to be, it's to be with him, the one who loves us and gave himself for us. So Lord, help us to just contemplate and reflect on the things that we've learned today that we might prepare ourselves for that day. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, click on the link in the show notes and we will be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. And as promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Thank you for spending the day with us. We hope that you have a blessed day.